let's turn everyone to our copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we will begin this morning at verse 11. And as you're turning there, I want you to know that we will be having our quarterly business meeting here in a few weeks, Wednesday, October 26th at 6 p.m. right over in the fellowship hall. So y'all plan to be there for that. 1 John chapter 3, John has been writing about children of God and children of the devil. And here's the way that you can know the difference. The children of God are those who live in righteousness, that their life, their, 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 their lifestyle, the way that they walk through this world would be a pattern of righteousness, that they follow the law of the Lord, that they seek to obey Him in all that they do. They will not do it perfectly, right? We still need the gospel. We still need the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day of, of our life. But you know that when you see that, when you see someone seeking to walk in righteousness, you are looking at a child of God. On the other hand, when you see someone whose life is characterized by sin and by lawlessness, by unrighteousness, then you know that you are looking at, according to John, a child of the devil. That those are the two options. Those are the only two options. There's no one who doesn't fall under one of those categories. Either you have someone who is a child of the devil, they don't know the Lord, they've not been redeemed by His blood, or you have people who used to be children of the devil but have now been redeemed by His blood and made righteous, made new, made sons and daughters of God, and you see the fruit of righteousness in the way that they live. John continues that pattern and those thoughts as we move into verse 11, and this is what he writes. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do ask now that You would take Your word and You would open it to us. Lord, we don't sit over your word to judge it and to to tear it apart and to pick and choose. 
Lord, we sit under your word, for what you say goes. We know that the flower fades. We know that the grass withers and dies, and we know that your word stands forever and ever and ever. So, Lord, may it be that we abide in your word today. And by abiding in your word, we abide in you. Lord, this is truth. Give us a mind to understand it. Give us a heart to believe it. And where we're not believing it, Lord, I pray that you would change us. Where we're not following, Lord, I pray that you would convict us. Where we are not walking in obedience, Father, lead us to repentance. We understand our need of Jesus. We know that we are not righteous apart from Him. But we also know that through the Spirit you've given to us, you are making us in practice what your, your, your Son's blood declares us to be. So make us righteous in practice, we pray. May our life be in obedience to Him. May we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we love one another as ourself. We have so far to go, so many ways in which we can grow. And I thank you for these brothers and sisters who have gathered here to get today because we are proclaiming before you, God, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like Him. So this morning, do what you know needs to be done in us to sanctify us and make us more like Christ. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who don't know Jesus. They may have come because their parents made them. They may have come because of something else. But Lord, may it be that they find life while here. Not life in First Baptist life in Jesus. So, Lord, open our eyes to Him this morning, we pray. Amen. We talked last week about 1 John and how it's, it's been described like a spiral staircase where John continually comes back around and he makes the same points over and over, and yet every time you come back around to that point, he's looking at it from kind of a different perspective. Here we are, and John's doing it again. He's saying what he said in chapter 2, verse 7, when he said, This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And yet this time he's going to return back to that, love one another, but he's going to give us some examples from scriptures. And he's going to give us a negative example, uh, an example of what not to do, of what not to be. And then he's going to give us a positive example, but it's not even just the positive example. It's the perfect example of love. Let's look at the negative example first. This is what he says. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, if you, if you are one of those that you like to leave church every week with something to cling on to, that's a pretty good one. We should not be like Cain, who murdered people. Okay? Low bar set this morning. Let's keep going, though. If you aren't familiar with the story of Cain, here's, here's what it is. Cain was the firstborn son of the first man and woman who ever walked the earth. The first man and woman that God created. Their names were? Adam and Eve. And sin enters the world through Adam and Eve in chapter 3. So get this. Man and woman were created in chapter 3. 
2, and everything was great for how long? About half a chapter. Come chapter 3, we mess it up. They sin. They disobey God. They rebel against God. They disobey His Word. And by chapter 4, the next chapter, they have two sons, Cain and his younger brother Abel. Now, both of these sons bring an offering to the Lord. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and he brings an offering of the firstborn of his sheep to the Lord. Cain, his older brother, is a worker of the ground. And so Cain brings some of his fruit of the offering of the ground. And the Bible really doesn't tell us why. It may allude to some things, but it doesn't just say, here is why Abel's sacrifice was accepted, but Cain's wasn't. That for some reason the Lord was not pleased. We're told this in Genesis 4. That the, the, that the offering of Cain was not accepted and he gets upset about it. He gets angry that the Lord does not accept his offering. And then this is what chapter 4 uh, says. That Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were out in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And why did he do it? John tells us right here, because his own deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. And John's using that example of Cain killing Abel to say to us in verse 13, so you guys don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised if you have been made righteous in Jesus Christ that the world hates you. Because from the beginning, the unrighteous have hated the righteous. That those who fit into this world will hate those who fit with Christ. Sons of the devil have hated the sons of God since the beginning. This nothing new. It goes back all the way to Cain and Abel. That the animosity between the sons of, the, of God and the sons of the devil has been raging since the beginning. So notice what John is saying. You know you are not of this world. You know that you are not sons of the devil. You know that you are not enemies of God. How? Because the world hates the sons of God. So if you love them, that's how you know. That the unrighteous hate the righteous. So if you love the righteous, then that is a clear sign that you've been made righteous. That that's a clear sign that you've passed out of death and into life. When you love the brothers and the sisters. When you love the church. Because make no mistake, John says, whoever does not love abides in death. Notice what he's doing. He's laying before us another test by which we are to look at our own lives and examine ourselves and how we live and how we think and how we spend our time. Because what he said was this. I'm writing these things to you so that you may know you have eternal life. And so he's setting tests before you to say, do you pass these tests? Is this true of you? Do you love the brothers? Do you love the people of God? Because if you do, that's a sure sign that you are one, that you've been made new. Everyone who hates their brother, he says, is a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the test is this. 
Do you love the people of God? Do you love the church of Christ? Before you answer that question, though, you need to know the qualifications by which John is speaking. He actually gives two options. You either love the brothers or you hate them. Those are the only two options. John, he deals in black, black and white. He deals in contrast. Those are the options. He says, you either love the brothers or you hate them. He doesn't give us the definition of hate so much, but he does give us this image of love. And essentially what he's saying is this. Anything that does not fit this image of love is not love. And thus, it is considered hate. So let's look at the positive example he gives in verse 16. This is what he says. By this, we know love. So if you're sitting out there and you're saying, okay, anyone who loves the brother, what do you mean when you say love? He gives you an example. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That this is the love that John is speaking of. Love one another. Okay, John, how do we do that? What do you mean when you say love? And he says, I mean this kind of love. The love that Jesus showed when he laid down his life for us. That his example of love, of, of love, this perfect example of love, the love to which you and I are called is the love of Jesus. That when you love one another, you are to love how Jesus loved when he laid down his life for us. Now, if you're not familiar with Christianity, you may not understand this. You may not know how this works, and let's be honest. All of us as Christians, whoever is in here is a Christian, we need to go back to this truth regularly, don't we? Christianity is not a claim that we are good people. It's not a claim that God accepts us or loves us because of the way we live. Even this call here to love one another is not saying to you, love one another so that God will love you or let you into heaven. That's not it at all. The story of Christianity and the truth of Christianity is this, that you and I are sinners, that we've already fallen short of this, that throughout our life we have fallen short of the call to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love one another, that we were born in sin down to our core, down to our nature, we were rebellious against God and His law, and because of that sin, we've been separated from a holy God. That this world, as you see it just falling apart in chaos, the reason it does is because it's separated from God. It's at odds with a holy God. And the call of the Bible is not this. Fix your life. Clean yourself up. Do what you have to do to obey God's law so that He will accept you. That is not what the Bible says. It says this, while you were dead in your trespasses and sins. While you were unable to help yourself, while you were unable to get up and stand up on your own, you had no boots on by which you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You were dead. And while you were dead in your sin, God sent His perfect Son, Jesus, to take the penalty of your sin. 
That Jesus came to make the way, the only way for you to be made right and accepted by God. And he lived in perfect love of God, perfect love of others, perfect obedience to his word. And then he laid down his life as a sacrifice for those who did none of those things. That because the death of Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, your life in him can be purified and made sanctified, made holy. That trusting in Jesus, looking to Jesus is your only hope to be saved. That it's not about saying, hey, try harder, do more, love one another and God will accept you. No, it's saying trust in Jesus to do what you haven't done and couldn't do to save yourself. So don't miss it. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He changes you. He makes you new. He makes you righteous. He's at work in you, brother or sister, causing you to love what He loves and hate what He hates. And so John points us to Jesus who laid down His life for us, and he says, that right there is what love is. That's what it looks like. That Jesus did this for you. Now, you should love people in the same way. Now, we need to clarify that. Does that mean that you are supposed to die for one another? That you might actually be called to physically die for someone else? That's possibly true. But the more direct meaning is this. That as you live... You live not simply for your good and your growth and your joy, but like Jesus, you live for the good and the growth and the joy of others. Not simply for your own desires, but for theirs. Look, the child of the devil is selfish. They're all in it for themselves, but the children of God are called to the exact opposite, to love one another. Now, let's go ahead and just recognize this. This is a tough command. And that right there is an understatement. This is an impossible command. You can't do it. And the Bible throughout actually commands us to do things we cannot do. We even talked about it a few weeks ago where we said what? Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. You can't do this. Our ability to love one another does not start with us. Only God can do it. This is a fruit of the Spirit's work in your life. That's why when you sing the song of the fruit of the Spirit, how does it start? Love. That the Lord does this. He must do it because you and I, apart from Him, do not have it in ourselves. So we, we've got to start at the foundation here. The call this morning is for you to love one another, but we must go below that and say, okay, well, well, what are we building on? And we must ask this question first. Do you know the Lord? Are you trusting in Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself? Do you see your sin and rebellion against God and know that but for Christ in us, we would be hopeless and lost and helpless? So even in this call to love one another, it must start with Jesus. So if you are here this morning and you don't know him, 
you don't need someone to necessarily walk you through it. You need to go to Him. You need Jesus. You need to put your faith in Him and be saved. The Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That we, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go to Him. Call out to Him. He will save you. But if you want help, if you want to have a conversation about that afterwards, come find me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. John points us to Jesus and he says, that's the love I'm talking about. In the command to love one another, you are to love like Jesus. So as you're looking at your own life and as you're, you're, you're seeing if you pass this test, do I love the brothers, do I love the sisters, do I love the church, make sure you're defining love in the way that Jesus does in the way that John does. He gives us a further example in verse 17. If you look at it and say, okay, love like Jesus, what exactly does that look like? He actually goes farther to, to give you more. Verse 17, he says this, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but indeed in truth. Notice what John does. He doesn't give us the ability and he doesn't give us the out to simply say, yes, I love the brothers and sisters. I love the church. He actually says to us, no, your life should show it, that that's what love is. Your life should show love by how you treat brothers, sisters, the church in its need. If you see them and they have a need and you have the means to meet that need but you don't, he actually says then your love is in word and talk only, not in deed and truth. And he's saying that's not love, it's just talk. Look, we're in a selfish world. I don't know if you've noticed but everyone is so caught up in their own desires, their own wants, their own needs that people are literally cast aside because we want what we want. And we're not going to let them get in the way of us getting it. And John's saying to you and me, the church cannot be like that. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 2.4. He says, look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also look to the interests of others. In other words, your good brother or sister is actually wrapped up in the good of your brother and sister beside you. That your desires should be wrapped up in there, that your interests should be invested in theirs. That this was actually a distinguishing mark of the early church in the way that they loved and cared and provided for one another. Listen to these words of Acts chapter 4. We begin at verse 32. It says this, the full number of those who believed. So the church is growing. Christ has risen. They're starting to tell people about it. And the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and soul. They were united. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, it's, it's no coincidence that the church is living like that. They're unified. They're loving each other. They're even meeting the needs of one another to an extraordinary sense and that they're seeing great power and great grace in their life. What are we seeing? That in the early church, the testimony of the Christ was in full agreement with the lives of those who claimed Him. That what they said and how they loved one another was the way that Jesus loved us. And there was no animosity or break or division between what they said and what they did. Now, I, I want to address something because there are people that read that and they say, look, see, Jesus was a socialist. Is anybody thinking that right now? Is it just me? Yeah. That, that's a common response to that. Let, let me define socialism. Socialism is when your stuff is stolen from you and distributed. It's ungodly. It's anti-gospel. It's ridiculous. It's not you following Christ. It's you being a thief. Any governor, any president that goes that direction is not following the Lord. It's not how it works. Okay? Why? Because the call on the church isn't to say, hey, let your stuff be taken so that it be, can be distributed it's this, love one another enough to see that need and run to it. In the early church, it was their joy to be together and help one another. That's what love looks like. When you, when you see them in need, you don't pull back, you run to it. It's, it's that kind of love right there that is meant to shout to the world that Jesus has in fact come and that his gospel is true. So let's get down into kind of the, the basics of it. And this is where it gets kind of hard. How are we doing? How are we doing loving one another? Cain was the example. He's kind of the poster. He, he's a poster child for evil in the Bible, isn't he? I doubt you've ever had somebody say to you, you should be more like Cain. It'd be a bad reading. Most of the time, people don't name their kids Cain. I only know one of them. And when he told me his name was Cain, I know I made a physical response because I'd never met one before. His brother Judas was even weirder. I'm glad you know that was a joke. I did know a Cain, but he did not have a brother named Judas that I know of. Look, how do we think of Cain? We look at him, and there is a bit of us that just scoffs. Cain. He brought an offering to the Lord, but the Lord didn't like it. The Lord didn't accept that offering. Can we be honest? Can we not be hypocrites? Many of us, every time the offering plate is passed, we don't give anything. At least Cain gave something. 
What about in service? Regularly, needs are announced from the front, and it never crosses the mind of most of us that we could actually meet those needs. Nursery workers? Children? I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun. I put in my time already. We have a Sunday school hour before church. We have a Sunday school hour after church. It's a good time to dig into the life of each other, to dig into the Bible, to get to know one another, to grow together, to pray for one another. I'm not really into that. To be honest, I'm, I'm good to just come and sit this hour, and I feel like that's enough for me. I can come in a few minutes late, I can leave right when it's over, and I can still get where I need to go. That's fine. Family's count starts in a few weeks. We need some godly men and women to come alongside their brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them and help them, Lord willing, to see restoration brought to their families. How was the turnout? Not good. You remember what Cain said when God asked where Abel was? Where is your brother Abel? What does he say? Am I my brother's keeper? What, do I have some sort of stake in his life, something that I'm supposed to be to him? He's not my responsibility. And John is saying to us, you are your brother's keeper. Don't be like Cain. You are meant to be a helper in the life of your brothers and sisters, an encourager. You're to be there for them in love. You are to run to them in their time of need. Listen, Every single believer has been gifted by God for the growth and the encouragement of their church, the growth and the, the maturing of their brothers and sisters, that this is how the Lord is working in us corporately to make us more like Him. But when it comes down to it, how many of us are actually using our giftings for that purpose? How many of us even know, even pay attention to how the Lord may have gifted us to serve our brothers and sisters? We don't even pay attention to it. We don't look because we don't think in those terms. For the most part, we run from service. We avoid it. And John's giving us a hard word. Now, I, I, wanna, I want to say something right now. I get paid to do this. <laughs> if a lot of you got paid to do it, you'd do it too, wouldn't you? So it's not as if I can't look at myself and say the same thing and ask the same thing. Am I a hypocrite here? Do, do I actually love the brothers and sisters or am I just doing the job? It's something for all of us to ask and examine ourselves because clearly it matters. I'm just going to skip that part. This is what he says. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. How? By your love for one another. And he's saying, don't tell me you love one another. Show me. That is essentially what James is doing in his book where he says, you, you, you say you have faith, show me your faith apart from works. John's kind of throwing down the same gauntlet. You say you love, show me your love apart from works. And what he's saying is this, you can't do it because that's not love. That's not how it works. 
Your love must be tangible. It must be an action, not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. It should be obvious. And when you see it in your own life, it should reassure your heart before God that you actually know him. Why? Because your life is upholding the validity of your testimony. Then you can know that you have eternal life. But what if you don't see it? This is a hard word, isn't it? What if you don't see it? What if nothing in your life actually shows a love and a concern for the church and for the people of God? What do you do? You repent. You confess that is sin. You recognize it as sin. And then as he says in verse 23, you believe in the name of his son, Jesus, and then you love one another just as he commanded us. Commanded us. Notice that these aren't two separate commands. It's not believe in the Lord and love one another. No, John's putting them together. That when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You love one another. And if you don't love one another, John's saying you need to examine yourself. Is your faith real? Is it active? Is it alive? And if we look around at and say as a church, you know, we're not very good at loving one another, then we need to repent. We need to set our eyes to Jesus once again and think on, meditate on, practice on the love that He has shown us each and every moment of each and every day. The Bible calls us to do that regularly because by seeing it, we're changed by it. And we need to ask God to make us more loving, to make a distinguishing mark of First Baptist Church to be our love for one another, our unity. We're not there. We haven't arrived. But the promise is true that Christ always finishes what He begins. And that in every child and every son or daughter of God, He's doing the work to make you more like Him. If you see a lack in yourself here, pursue it. Pursue love, not the feeling, not the emotion. Pursue the love that is visible. And know this, that Christ will meet you in your need, and He will provide for you what you ask for. He's good. It's what He does. And He's working all of this in you and in me and in us for our good. And when we desire what He desires, He's going to give it to us freely. So, brothers and sisters... Love one another. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard word. And I pray that you would cause it to land. That, Lord, we would look rightly upon Christ and his love. We would look rightly upon our own love or lack thereof. And that, Father, you would be working in us to make us more like Jesus. May we become those men and women, those sons and daughters of God who are marked by a love for one another. Lord, you alone can do this. So work in us to give us a deep desire for this, to pursue it, and then we pray that you would meet us and change us as we seek it. Lord, work in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.